Uh, all of us probably have a year that we look back on and we go, okay, that was a pretty awesome year way back there in the day. Uh, maybe it's a lot of bad years, but you go, okay, that year was a, a good year for me. A, a year that I look back on and go, okay, that was a really good year. It was 1995. And 1995 was a good year for a couple reasons. Um, the first one is actually the far better of the two. But the first reason 1995 was a good year for me was because that was the year that I met my wife, Becky. And uh, some of you already heard the story about how this went down. Me and some college buddies went to this. Uh, I was in Bible college at the time. We went to this Christian nightclub called Club Jericho, which is an, just an awful name. Awful name. Never, never name a business after a city that God destroyed. It's just a bad idea. But at this Christian nightclub, I noticed this girl that was out there dancing and uh, just having a good time because that's just the kind of girl that Becky is. And uh, ended up, uh, we ended up going out, ended up marrying her. So that's the first event that happened in 1995. The second event that made 1995 a really cool year was an event that actually happened a little bit before I met Becky. It happened in March of 1995. And in March of 1995, the greatest basketball player of all time, Michael Jordan, sorry LeBron James fans, you don't have the microphone, but Michael Jordan, greatest basketball player of all time, was about to make his return to the game of basketball. And I was a huge Michael Jordan fan growing up. I had, um, my, my bedroom walls had posters of Michael Jordan everywhere. I don't know if you've ever seen the, the Wings poster of Jordan where he's got his, his arm just straight out. He's palming a ball. It's like a six-foot long, huge poster. That was on my wall. I had Air Jordans um, because back in the day, if you wanted to be a good basketball player, you just had to have a pair of Air Jordans because they made you jump higher, run faster, um, all that kind of stuff. You just felt like you were indestructible with your Air Jordans on. So anyways, I was a huge Jordan fan, but he in the, I think it was in 1993, he had made this announcement that he was retiring from the game of basketball. He was in his prime and he was like 30, 31 years old. But he wanted to go and pursue this career in baseball, and so he left the game. And it was like this, this thick cloud of heaviness just descended on the game of basketball. There was hopelessness and despair. It was like a thick cloud of smoke just covering the game. It was dark, dark days for basketball fans when Michael Jordan retired. Was anybody around during that time? You remember those days? Okay, yeah. Yeah, okay, the rest of you probably weren't even born yet, but that's, that's cool. We're, we won't go down that road. But he was gone. But then this, in the spring of 95, all of a sudden there was this buzz in the air. Jordan had been spotted pulling up to the, the, Jordan, the Chicago Bulls practice facility in his, his Ferrari, and, and he, he was showing up, and it, the buzz was maybe he's going to return, maybe he's going to come back to the game. And, and, and then all of a sudden it happened. And long before there was really even any internet or social media or Twitter or any of that kind of stuff, Michael Jordan made his big announcement via a fax machine. And he made the announcement with just two words. Does anybody remember the two words? I'm back. I'm back. And, and I'm telling you, if, that, if, if Twitter would have been around, I mean, it would have like blown up the internet big time. I mean, most retweeted tweet in all of history. But it wasn't. But anyways, he comes back. And, and when he did, the hills just came alive with flowers, and the sky parted, and, you know, it didn't actually happen that way. But the, the other, there's another return that we're going to be looking at this morning, and I got to tell you, it is hands down the most anticipated return in all of human history. 
And it's, it's been anticipated ever since the day when two angels, they showed up on the scene 2,000 years ago as all the disciples are, are standing there staring up at the sky. And, and the Bible puts it like this. They're standing there. Jesus had just left. And as they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, so Jesus is kind of like out. They're looking when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them and they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. He will come back. And for 2,000 years, the church has been waiting. The church has been anticipating his return. Now, we've been doing this series as a church called Creeds. We believe in what uh, a creed is basically. It's a belief that we hold as a church, um, to, uh, a belief that we hold to be true. These creeds are not just CTK creeds. They've actually been um, held by many um, all throughout Christianity through the ages. And so we've been looking at all these creeds. And today we're going to look at the last creed, the last thing that, that we believe as a church. And it simply goes like this. Jesus will return to the joy of all who believe. Now, I just got to be kind of upfront with you this morning. I've never preached on anything related to the end times. I've never preached on anything that has to do with Jesus' coming, second coming. And uh, there's been a, a bit of a reason for that, actually a couple reasons, that I've been kind of gun-shy to go there. First reason is I was traumatized as a kid, and you know, I'm serious. My parents, when I was five years old, they thought it would be a good idea to have me and my two brothers sit down and watch this horrible movie called The Thief in the Night. It's this movie, this Christian movie, that, that's supposed to depict the end of the world. And, and the movie starts off with these two creepy ladies singing this song about guns and war and everybody being trampled on the floor because they weren't ready. And then there's this, uh, this uh, organization called Unite that drives around in these, these vans just trying to pick up people. And, and bring them into this old church building where they've got this buzzer thing where they buzz 666 on your forehead. And then there's this other scene where there's this lady at the top of this big massive dam and she's looking down on this muddy churning river and this guy comes along and pushes her off. My parents showed me this movie when I was five years old. So I'm a little traumatized. But the other reason that I haven't really wanted to go there is just because you know, it seems to me, and maybe you've noticed this, maybe you are one of these people, hopefully not, but it seems like people who really kind of go like deep into end times kind of stuff, they all t- kind of get a little bit weird in a way, and they start to make and draw all these big maps and all these, just like the bowls of wrath being pour- poured out and this, the seals being poured out on everybody and and not like sea world seals, like sea- seals of doom and destruction and and black riders and, and all this kind of stuff. And so I don't want to be one of those guys. And so I've been a little hesitant. But this morning we're going we're gonna to go there. And, and as we do, what I want to do is just kind of clear away some of the, the uncertainty because there is a lot of uncertainty about how everything is going to go. And everybody, there's, there's people who say, no, this is how it's going to go. And I'll just go, no, this is gonna, how it's going to go. And you get into all this like post-millennial, millennial, I can't even say the word, but post and pre-trib and all blah, 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 all that stuff. We're just kind of going to go and clear away the fog and get down to what we do know for certain about the return of Christ. And then we're going to wrap up this morning by talking about why all this even matters. So here we go. Three things, three things that we know about the return of Christ. First thing is this. He's going to return. That's important. 
he's going to return. We know that he's going to return. He's already been to earth once. Um, he came to earth 2,000 years ago. Uh, Merry Christmas, everybody. That's what Christmas is all about. You all know that. He came. Uh, he wa- it was predicted in, the, in God's word that he would come. And, and it was a literal event that happened in history, B.C., A.D., Jesus' birth, right in the middle. It was a literal event. And just as that was a literal event, his second coming is also going to be a literal event. The Bible says it uh, actually over and over and over again. But I'm just going to give you a few places where it, it talks about this. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit more about it in a bit. But... Uh, in, in the book of Hebrews in the Bible, it says this, Jesus will appear a second time. There's no might in there. It's Jesus will appear a second time, not to bear sin. So he's not going to come back and die on the cross. doesn't need to do that. That's, he's done that. He's going to come to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. And then in the book of Th- Thessalonians, it says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the, the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And then Jesus says it like this. Jesus actually talked a lot about his second coming. I um, In one spot, he, he said it like this. He said, then will appear the, son, the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and, and with great glory. And maybe you're scratching your head a little bit. You're going, okay, wait a second. They're all going to mourn? Isn't that going to be like the, the biggest party ever when Jesus comes back again? Well, it's actually not going to be the biggest party ever for people that aren't ready for him to come back. So for the person that has, has just been completely antagonistic against Jesus and mocks followers of Christ and, and, and just mocks everything about Christianity, when, when Jesus is coming back, that's not exactly going to be a happy day. For the person that's, that maybe has just been like resisting and hearing about Jesus over and over and over again, but just doesn't maybe have enough evidence or enough this or enough that, that day, the Bible says it's not actually going to be a, a, happy, a happy day. But Scripture is clear, Jesus is coming again. And I just read a small spattering here of verses that talk about this. This is actually everywhere in, in the Bible. And, and Jesus is either coming again or the Bible's not true. I mean, that's how... That's how prominent this is in the Bible. Either he's coming again or the, or the, the, the Bible, you just toss it out because it's, it's not true. But the Bible does declare he, he's going to return. Second thing um, that we know about the return of Christ is that he could return at any moment. Now, although most people, I think, in the church would probably say, yeah, I believe that. I, can, I believe that he could return at any moment. A lot of things that people teach in the church, church actually contradict that. And maybe you've heard it in the church, maybe you've read a book, maybe you've watched some, some, some movie that, where, where people will say things that actually contradict that, th- this idea that he could return at any moment. People will say things like, well, when, when uh, all the Jewish people return to Israel, then he'll return. Or when the, the temple is rebuilt on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, then he will return. Or when the, the gospel is preached to every person in every nation and every people group and every whatever, then, he, then he, he'll return. And, and so people have all these different things that, that they talk about, and we don't have time to break down how, why each of these requirements that people put on his return is, is actually not valid. We don't have time to get into that this morning. But suffice it to say, Scripture clearly teaches that he could return at any moment. It says this in, in the book of Titus, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, 
righteously and godly in the present age. And then catch this little bit. This is what we're instructed to do. Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Scripture instructs us to be on the lookout. Jesus himself said it like this. He said, so you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. And then a little bit later on, he says this at another time. He says, therefore, and catch these two words, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. And so what he makes clear, what Scripture makes clear here, here is that you got to be ready. You got to keep your eyes open. You got to be looking. You got to be watching because, hey, we don't know the day or the hour. People can try to predict. They can do all that kind of stuff. They can draw the maps, whatever. We don't know the day or the hour. Be, so be looking. Be ready because it could happen at any moment that, that he returns. God's word is so clear on this that, that it could happen at any moment. For all we know, it could happen before this sermon is even done this morning. I mean, that's the reality that, that we're talking about today. He could return at any moment. And then the third thing um, that, that we need to know about his return that, that is just absolutely clear in Scripture is that he's returning as a triumphant, conquering king. There was this uh, time uh, back 2,000 years ago when uh, one of the followers of Jesus, a guy named John, was exiled to this island. And while he was on this island, he had all these visions and all these dreams, and, and uh, they're all recorded in the Bible in this book of Revelation. And in this, one of his visions that he had, he had a vision of what it was going to be like when Jesus returned. He had a vision of Jesus returning, and he describes it like this. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like a blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule, with them, he will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the, the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. So when he returns, he is not returning as baby Jesus, meek and mild. He is returning as a conquering king, Lord of heaven and earth, to bring judgment. He's coming to kick the kick, uh, a sin and death, like just for, forever do away with that. He is coming in power and with great glory and with great, great might. That's what he's coming back as. And, and now maybe you're thinking this morning, okay, all that, okay, that's kind of cool. You know, he's got like the name written on him. It sounds like he's got a bit of, bit of a tattoo going on there. That's kind of cool. Um, exciting. But what does all that kind of matter for us today? What does it matter? What difference does it make for, for me living today here uh, 2018, uh, just going about my life, doing my thing, what difference does it make in, in my world that he could come back anytime? After all, if people have been kind of looking and anticipating this for 2,000 years and he hasn't come back yet, haven't they actually anticipated and waited and watched and all that kind of stuff in vain? And won't me doing the same just possibly be me setting up for waiting and watching in vain? Does it all really even matter that much? If he comes back in my lifetime, great. If he doesn't, then I'll, I'll see him when I die. And, and a lot of people tend to have this kind of 
sort of posture in, in me being probably one of them for most of my life. And it's easy to kind of have this attitude, but it is the wrong attitude to have. And the reason it's, it's ro- the wrong attitude is simply because you can't read through the New Testament without seeing that the posture God wants us to have when it comes to his return is not one of idle disregard, but one of anticipation. You can't miss that in the New Testament. It's be ready, it's be watching, it's, it's, it's be looking. God wants us to be anticipating his return. And what I'd like to do in the time that we have left is just look at why it's so important for us to keep the return of Christ in front of us, why it's important for you and for me to be anticipating, to be watching, and to be waiting. And so I have three reasons why it's important for us to be looking for the return of Christ. First one is this. It keeps us grounded in a hope that is sure. It keeps us grounded in a hope that is sure. Now, everybody in this room, whether you call yourself a follower of Jesus or not, you have your hope. You have hope put in something. Now, some of you in the room, you've got a lot of hope that is put in your retirement savings plan. You just, your hope is wrapped up in that 401k just doing its job and the stock market just doing its job up, 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 so that when you hit the, 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 the magic age of 65, you just can live that life that you've always dreamed of living. Your, your hope is wrapped up in that. It's wrapped up in Social Security not collapsing because that's just what your your future is all tied up in, in, in that. Others, you have your hope in your, wrapped up in your career, that, that your new job will just be a roaring success, that you'll be recognized by your superiors for just being outstanding in whatever line of work it is that you're in. Maybe for some of you, your hope is more people-related. You have this hope that your kids will grow up and they'll leave the nest one day and they'll just leave just the perfect kids who, you know, get on Facebook every day week and they just like shower mom and dad with compliments and they're calling you every single day. I miss you. I miss you. And there's your hope is there. Or maybe your hope is that your marriage will just grow old and gray and just your, your love will just get stronger and stronger and stronger as the years go on and on. Maybe some of you in the room, you have your hope in your sports team. Man, if the Mariners could just squeak into that wild card playoff spot, then they could get in the World Series, and maybe they could be champs. Or maybe you're like every other football fan in the country. You're hoping that this is the year for your team to win the Super Bowl. Now, listen to me. There's nothing wrong with having hope. In fact, it'd be kind of messed up if you weren't hoping for some of these things to happen. If you were hoping that your retirement savings plan just absolutely collapsed, or you were hoping that your kids just left and, like, whatever. Hope is actually a good thing. But here's the thing about all of these hopes that I just mentioned. None of those hopes is sure to happen. None of them. Not one of those things is sure to happen. The stock market has crashed before, and I got news for you. It's going to crash again. That's just how it works. Some of you are like, what? It's going to go down again? You're checking your, don't check your phone and your stocks or whatever because it's not the time and place for that. But it, it's going to happen. There are uh, marriages that, that, that you know, people have thought would just be like awesome and just like go on and on forever have unexpectedly, tragically come to an end. The, the Seattle Mariners, uh, we don't need to go down that road, do we, this morning? But we won't really love all that. No, we won't go there. Let's not do that. But none of these hopes is sure, but there is a hope that is sure, and it's this. Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. 
And when you keep yourself grounded in Jesus and when you keep yourself grounded in his promises, you're putting your, your faith and your trust and your hope in him and in who he, in who he says he is. And your, your faith and your trust is in what he says he's going to do. And it's not in the stuff, the circumstances, the, that everything in this, this world that can shift and change. And when you put your hope in Jesus, that is a sure, rock-solid foundation. And when, you, when it's in Jesus... When your trust and your faith are in Jesus, you know what that leads to? It actually leads to a life that is filled with, with a bunch of good things, but two things that really stand out in my mind. It leads to faith, and it leads to a life of peace. Peace. You know what a lot of people's lives are filled with? The exact opposite. Their, their lives aren't grounded in the hope of Jesus. Their lives are grounded actually in fear. Well, they're just afraid. They're afraid of this. They're afraid of that. And, and, it's everywhere. You know, I, and I know because I've been one of those guys, only I didn't like to call it fear or being afraid because that's just not manly. And so I would attach words to it that maybe are a little more culturally acceptable, like worry or anxiety. But I challenge you next time you experience worry or anxiety to do a little soul searching, and I will guarantee you that at the root of that, you will find something. You'll find fear. You are afraid of something. I don't know what that something looks like, but you're afraid. And so many people in our culture are afraid. They're afraid that that retirement savings plan will collapse. They're afraid that their financial future won't go the way that they're hoping it will go. And so there's, they're, they're just, they live in fear or they're afraid that uh, their kids are beyond God's reach. They're afraid that they'll be found out. They're afraid that they'll fail at work. They're afraid that those people whose approval that they so desperately want to have, whether it's the other students in their school or the people at work, they're afraid that they're going to say something or do something that might cause them to be rejected. So many people are afraid. The early church, you know, when you go back 2,000 years and you kind of dig into the book of Acts and the Bible that really is kind of like the, the, the history book of the early church. And when you go back there and you look at what the early church really had to to uh, deal with, they, they had a lot to really be afraid of. And I was looking this last week at some of the things recorded in Scripture that they actually didn't just have to, like, it could happen. These are things that they actually, actually happened, things they actually faced. And the list is, is pretty, pretty crazy. Here's some things that followers of Jesus faced in the, the early church. Verbal abuse, seizure of property, beatings, murder plots, Unjust arrests and imprisonments, exile, and even execution. They faced all this stuff. So these guys, I mean, they had a lot to, like, really be afraid of. And they didn't actually know if they were going to end the day in their homes or, or laying down on some hard concrete stone in, in some jail cell awaiting who knows what. They had a lot of stuff to be afraid of. But what is really interesting is that when you go back and you look at the early church, it, none of this stuff really seemed to rattle their faith. All these things didn't seem to shake them. And why is that? It's because they had their hope in something far greater. They had their hope in Jesus. They were expecting that this better day of his return was going was to come. And their, their hope was, was in something that was just greater than their circumstances. And it was even in a place that was greater than their hope of surviving through the end of the day. Their hope was in Jesus. And there's this verse where Jesus tells us about how things are going to go. Um, just before he returns. And if you're easily afraid, you might want to plug your ears um, because it's not actually good news. He says this. He says, 
There will be signs in the sun and moon and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish, in perplexity, at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. And, and so maybe you think you've got a lot to be afraid of now. It's, that's the reality. It's, it's going to get worse. Um, it's just a little heads up for you this morning. And how is the world going to respond? Well, it's going to respond actually like you would expect them to respond. The Bible says they're going to be like faint. They're going to faint from terror. They're going to like pass out because they're so afraid. I don't know if anybody in the room has ever passed out because you're so afraid. But that's, that's, that sounds like a lot of fear going on here. And there, a lot of people are going to be absolutely terrified. But the follower of Jesus is actually going to look a little different. And, and Jesus goes on to describe what it's like for the follower of Jesus. He goes on to describe what it's like for the one whose hope is not in their circumstances, not even in how things are going in the world around them. This is what it looks like for the follower of Jesus whose hope is anchored in him and who, and who he is. Jesus says at that time, when all this chaos, whatever that's going to look like, when all that's going on, at that time they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these, when they see, when these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. The follower of Jesus is going to, they're going to stand up. Their heads are going to be held up. They're not going to be cowering somewhere in fear, but they're going to be, their heads are going to be held high because this is a good day that's, that, that, that's coming. It's the return of Christ because their hope is, is grounded in him and who he is. And, and here's the thing. It doesn't matter how bad things get in your life. When you're a follower of Jesus and your hope is anchored in him and it's anchored in the, the truth that he's going to return, it doesn't matter how bad things get in life. And maybe you're going, well, Rich, things are pretty bad right now. It doesn't matter how bad things get in life. When you have Jesus, you always have the hope that there's a better day ahead. There's a better day ahead. Jesus is coming again. And the second reason why it's important for us to be looking for Christ's return is this. It's because it helps us to keep the proper perspective on home. And, you know, as Christians, we so often forget what home, what home is all about. But the Bible makes it really clear. It, sa- it says this. It says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Heaven is our home. Heaven is our home. This earth, this world, is not our home. We are just simply passing on through. Heaven is our home. Now, most of us in this room, you've probably been in a hotel or a motel at some point in your life. And I can, I can almost guarantee you that, you know, you may have settled in a little bit, but you haven't really settled in. You know, maybe you've got there, and you're one of those people that you, like, you, you get your suitcases in, and you see that there's a dresser, and you, like, got to unload all your clothes and your belongings and put them all in the right drawer and all that kind of stuff. Others of you in the room, you're like, there's no way I'm doing anything that smells anything like work on vacation. All the clothes, they're just staying in the suitcase for the whole time. Um, anybody here, like, a put, put stuff in the drawers kind of person on, on vacation? Yeah? All right. Wow, most of you just like to leave it in the suitcase. We're just kind of laid back, easy going, okay, all right. But, but here's something that you haven't done, and if you have, i got to tell you, you're a little crazy. But I'm pretty sure you haven't actually gone to that hotel room and noticed that the artwork on the wall is not quite up to your liking. You've gone out and, and you've taken it down, and you've gone out and bought, bought a brand new piece of artwork to put on the wall. 
I don't think so. You probably didn't go in there, and you're like, hey, that sofa, not quite squishy enough. Let's get that sucker out of here. I'm going to go down to the store, buy a brand new sofa, and put that in there. You go to the bathroom, and you notice that the plumbing is a little haywire. You know, the shower stall is kind of drippy. Go out, buy some tools, and, and, and you fix all this stuff. You don't do that in a hotel. If you do, you're crazy, just so you know. And the reason that you don't do that is because it's not your home. You're just, like, showing up there for a few days, maybe a week, two weeks tops. I don't think they let you stay longer than two weeks in most places. But it's not your home. You're showing up, and then you're passing through. So you don't really ever truly settle there because you have this this understanding that, hey, I'm I'm not staying here very long. Our time on this earth is like a hotel stay. It's like a hotel stay. It is, it's not our home. You can read through Psalm 103. It talks about how we are like grass. We're just like a flower that flourishes in the field, and then next thing you know, the wind blows on it, and it's gone, and it's place. doesn't even remember it anymore, the Bible says. We are just, we're just passing through. And, and, and what happens, though, is that when you start to think that this is your home, and you start to live as if this earth is your home, you know what that leads to? It actually leads to you making a lot of mistakes in life. What you start to do is you start to put all, the, you, you value things, and you put all your focus, you put all your energy, you put all your time, you put all of it usually into stuff that just doesn't even really matter in the grand scheme of things. Stuff that's probably going to be gone in 100 years. And we put all of our time and energy and focus into that stuff when we, when we have this, this idea that this life is it. We don't have this eternal perspective. We think, okay, this is it. And so we just put everything into this life. But when you have your, your eyes looking to Jesus and you have your, this, this, this understanding that, yeah, he's coming back to take us home to, to our true home, it actually helps, it helps you to, to have a right perspective in life, this right understanding of what, what home really is and what it's about. And when you have that right perspective, it keeps your priorities, your values, the way you spend your, your time, the way you spend your resources, it keeps them all aligned um, with God's kingdom rather than the kingdom of this world. And then the last reason why it's important for us to be looking for Christ's return, and this, this is an important one. I mean, they're all important, but it's this. It protects us. It protects us from becoming idle in the work that we're called to do. And so this, this last week, I was just out. Um, it was Friday. It was my day off, and I, I have a couple places I just like to go and just to get away from everything and everybody and and just kind of be by myself and go for a walk. And I thought, okay, so I was walking along. It was Friday. I think it was on Thursday that the smoke kind of started to clear away. And so it was kind of cool. You could see this blue sky. And uh, um, as I was walking, I thought, okay, I know I'm preaching on this, this topic this Sunday. So I'm just going to, for a second, just, like, imagine, like, visualize. Okay, there's the blue sky. Jesus, what would it look like? I'm trying to, like, imagine, like, that picture in Revelation. Jesus just, like, he's, he's, come, he's riding in. And, and, and there he is. And I got to tell you, in that moment as I was visualizing uh, what it's going to be like when he returns, the first emotion that I felt was, was not, it wasn't actually excitement. It was, it was urgency. It was urgency. And yes, I'm excited to be like with Jesus face to face. But there was this urgency. You know, I've, I've got neighbors that don't know Jesus yet. Uh, there's, there's people that I know and that, that you know, even right here in our community, that just, they don't know Jesus yet. There's 2 billion people on this planet. 
Two billion. You can't even wrap your mind around two billion. But there's two billion people on this planet that haven't even heard the name of Jesus yet. And there's a sense of, of urgency. And I can kind of understand why there's this, this spot in the Bible, and I don't have it written down, but where, where the Apostle Paul, he's talking about, I believe it's in Philippians, where he's talking about how he, there's part of, him, part of him that wants to be with Jesus, and part of him is going, okay, I, I, I just want this life to be over, and I want to be with Jesus in his presence, face-to-face, all that stuff. But he's going, I mean, there's, there's a lot of work to do here still. There's a lot of people that, that don't know this Jesus, this, this amazing, awesome glorious Savior that, that, we, that we serve. And, and when you have this understanding, though, that there's not much time, that Jesus is going to return, and that it could be any moment, it actually keeps you in this posture of just being, you're, you're, you're being diligent. You, you're going, okay, there is work to be done. There's not time to just be idle and just be lazy and all that kind of stuff. There's work to be done. And maybe you're going, okay, what, what exactly is that work you're talking about? Jesus made it so clear. Just before he left, he said, Here, here's the work that you're called to do. It's to go. It's not to stay, it's to go and make disciples of all nations. Starting, starting in Jerusalem, then to Judea, then to Samaria, then ends of the earth. So starting at home, then out, 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 out. But, but, but it's to go and it's to help people know Jesus. It's to help people understand how, who he is and to understand what his way is like. To understand the life that he brings. To understand just how great it is to have your life wrapped up in him, who he is. Jesus said, that's, that's your work. It is to go and help people know, know me, know about me, follow me. That's, that's the work. We don't have much time. Um, even if Jesus doesn't come back um, for another thousand years, um, looking around this room, we all got 80 years tops. Um, some of us a lot less than 80 years to- in, this, in this life. We, we don't have much time. I mean, come on, it's going by like that. It's going by like that. You don't have much time. There's no time to be idle. He could come back any moment, which keeps your perspective right. Jesus put it like this. He said, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one, no one can work. There is work to do. And so how do, we, how do we live with his return in sight? Like, what does that look like even? Like, you're talking about, okay, yeah, anticipating and how do I stay in that spot of just and living with his return in sight? Like, is it, what does that look like? And I got to tell you, to be honest, I don't even really fully know what that looks like. Um, maybe, maybe it's just getting in the habit of you see, see the sky, which we see every day. But you see the sky, and maybe there's clouds, maybe it's blue, whatever. But maybe you see the sky, and you're just like, maybe you do kind of what I did on Friday, and you just visualize. And maybe you go, okay, yeah, he, Lord, help me to keep my hope rooted in the truth of your return. Maybe it's, maybe it's just you, 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 as you, you visualize that or you remember that or you focus on that, whatever that looks like, it, you just you, 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 you resolve to be about doing the work that Christ has called you to do. But you just you keep that in front of you. You keep it in your mind. You don't allow, allow it to drift. Maybe that's the way that you live with his return in sight. But here's, here's another thing that, that we can do, and this is maybe this is going to sound a little unusual, but this is actually what the Bible um, instructs us to do, is to pray and say, Jesus, come. Come quickly. Come, Lord Jesus. There's a, a verse in the Bible, and it's at the, at the very end of the Bible. The Bible starts way back in Genesis, and it goes all the way through. At the very end, there's this book called Revelation. And at the end of Revelation, there's this, 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 this prayer. 
And this is, this is what it says. It says, the spirit and the bride say, come. And they're talking about the, re, the return of Christ. The bride, the church is saying, come. Come, Lord Jesus. It goes on to say, let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. And let the one who wishes, um, let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. He who testifies to these things says, yes. This is Jesus. He says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come. Lord Jesus. And so as we wrap up this morning, we're going to make this our prayer this morning. Jesus, come. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, I, I pray for God for your return. God, I, it, it even seems a little bit odd to be praying and asking that you would return, but God, you, you say here that, that the, the bride is to say, come, come, Lord Jesus. And so, Father, we would make that our prayer this morning, that, that Lord, you would come that, Jesus, uh, we would live lives that are anticipating your return. Lord, help us to be a people that is in that place. And, and, and Lord, I don't even fully know what that looks like, but I pray, God, that you would help us to, to just have that, that, God, just that posture where we're looking, where we're ready, where we're watching. And, Lord, honestly, God, it's, it's, that's going to be a challenge, God, for most of us in this room. Because we just live lives that are so chaotic, so busy, so running from one place to the next. God, it seems like a lot of the time we can barely even find time just to be with you, let alone have our, our, our focus set on your return and be thinking about that. But, Lord, I pray that, Jesus, you would help us to be a people that are just anticipating. We're anticipating. Our hearts are set, God, on your return. As we do that, I pray, God, that you would help us to keep our hope in you, not to keep our hope in our money, God, not to keep our hope in our house, God, not to have our hope God, grounded in, in people, but God, help us to keep our hope in you. And God, help us to have our perspective, God, in the right place. God, knowing that, that Jesus, at any moment, you could return and take us to our true home. God, help us to keep our, our perspective on what home is. And then lastly, God, I just want to pray that you would help us, God, those in this room, God, that say they are followers of you, Jesus. God, help us to, to keep in this posture that's, that's, that's urgent. God, where we just go, okay, there is work to be done. There's not time to be lazy. There's not time to be, God, just twiddling our thumbs. There's not time to have our lives just wrapped up in all the wrong stuff. God, help us to keep this posture of, and there's work to be done. There are people who need to know the saving power of the Lord Jesus. God, help us to stay in that posture. God, I ask all this in your, your name, Jesus. Amen.